0: Welcome to On The Bench. I'm your host for today's episode, Brendan Sinone, joined by Chris Me, nee, Zach Blostein. I almost said another name just then. <laughs> shall not be mentioned. Uh, we are here to go over Florida State's emphatic, well, not emphatic, what would be the right word for it, Christopher? It's late here on this. Triumphant. Mm, dr- dramatic. Um, triumphant. Yeah, a little too much drama. A little bit, a little bit too close for comfort. Uh, But it was a win that felt really good. Maybe that's the best way to describe it. It felt damn good. It ended with a dance party uh, of epic proportions at midfield after the game. So the Seminoles beat the Florida Gators on Black Friday. It was a one-score game. Uh, And it was a thing of beauty uh, in, in many ways. It was imperfect, but it was a team that kept battling and found ways to overcome flaws and in many ways really highlighted what this program has become under Mike Norvell, where it is in this portion of the climb. Again, imperfect, but something to be proud of. FSU 45, Florida 38. Zach, I got to see you in the stands in your in your full student swag. You, oh, is that not a thing? I'm fine. You look like Julian Armella.
1: I saw someone say that um on Twitter. No, it was fun. Um definitely lost my voice a bit. Um but no it was it's kind of sentimental for me. It's my final uh, home football game uh, as a student here. I'm a senior now, so um, definitely was a great way to go out for me. I try to keep things objective and I think I do a pretty good job of that um, as a student, um, but definitely a cool moment for me um, personally. And, and you no know, thank you to Mike Norvell and the FSU football team for, for getting this one and, and closing out the year strong, closing out my FSU uh, um, career strong. So I appreciate appreciate that. And thanks, thanks for uh, posting me on Twitter and calling me out.
0: I think it, <laughs> I think it's fine. It's fine to be proud of your school, and uh, Mike Norvell has given the school and the fan base something to be proud of, and that's going to be our our starting point for this episode. Uh, and someone who I'm particularly proud of of just watching the growth. It's been the coolest, coolest. Storyline to cover probably in my career at least for an indiv- individual player and that's Jordan Travis. Uh, go ahead, J. Trav, take a bow. I mean, this is someone who I think is contending if he returns next year. Which uh, if you are on the Knowles Twenty Four Seven message board, uh, I reported today that I think there's a pretty, really very high, high chance, good chance that he returns to FSU in 2023. It's not official. Uh, but but I think that is the belief in the program that he is trending to to return to FSU. And if that does end up coming to fruition, as we believe right now, recording this on the Sunday evening, uh, Chris, I don't think it's crazy to say Jay Travis positioned himself to be very much so in the Heisman uh, conversation in 2023 if he puts together a good season. He'll, he'll be on short list early in the year.
2: Yeah, I think the biggest difference with Jordan is that he went into this season leading a football team that most people expected to win seven, maybe eight games at best. And that just doesn't create a preseason buzz. Also, I don't think people outside the program understood the progress he was making as an individual player, something we obviously are privy to because we get a great deal of access when we saw the spring and we knew what was kind of coming with him as far as potentially taking that next step. When you win nine games, potentially 10, if FSU wins this ballgame, you're going to have preseason accolades. FSU has what I would describe at this point a relatively soft schedule next year, or at least an easier schedule than I would say they had on paper going into this year. So that sets up for FSU to be kind of a team that's a, a darling going into next season, one that gets buzzed. And what Jordan has done on the field with his ability to throw it being so drastically improved, and obviously he's a very capable runner, as he showed against the Gators, that's going to create a preseason buzz, and it's going to be true for him, and it's going to be true for some of the other guys that return on this team to have those preseason accolades that usually, if you kind of take it and run with it, leads to the postseason award buzz that he hasn't had in the past. So, for example, this year I had to vote for all ACC, and I'm voting Drake May Offensive Player of the Year, but, like, I was not far off on Jordan Travis being that guy. He's extremely good. He's a he's the number one reason FSU is good. And, like, beyond stats, I think that carries weight. But Drake May's team is also very good, and it's very much because of Drake May. And his, him statistically is one of the best players in the country. So that's why he's getting it. But, I, I mean, from an ACC perspective, presuming Hartman does move on, which is expected, the quarterback talk for this league going into next
0: year is going to be Jordan Travis and Drake May, and they're both going to get national buzz. Jordan Travis' stat line against Florida wasn't particularly explosive. Uh, 13 of 30 for 270 yards, one touchdown, passer rating of 129.9. That's a completion percentage uh, of 43%. However, uh, the stat line says three drops, and it was probably closer to to, to double that. And uh, some some pretty big drops, too, downfield that – yeah, that's probably close to an extra 100 yards uh, of of receiving yards if if that counts. But really what Jordan Travis does on the ground is, is special. Uh, again, the stat line is not going to say this was a special night. 15 carries for 83 yards, two touchdowns, uh, probably about 100 yards if you strip out the sacks. Uh, but his ability to get out of a couple of sacks, his ability to run the read option at a really high level, uh, but really the scrambling, I mean, the ability to to – do some Houdini moments, really. Uh Or, sorry, Houdini, right? we yeah. so used to say Houdini. We have a Houdini on the staff, but <laughs> Houdini's the actual magician. No
1: way you could use that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> At least I caught myself. I was dead serious, too. I was not trying to be funny. Uh Some Houdini, Houdini moments, uh including one where he spun around, broke four or five tackles in one play, got to the one-yard line. Uh, really, I mean, J. Trav was amazing. Zach, I'm going to give you credit because – you were on the, the J-TRAV bandwagon probably before any of us, maybe not as loud as, as myself per se, but two springs ago, you were gushing over how solid he was, and uh, he's only gotten better since then. So a uh, hat tip to you, sir.
1: No, I mean, that, that spring, I was more so critical of, of um, a lot of the hype around McKenzie Milton at the time. I wasn't saying he was terrible, but I just didn't think he was this, you know, the guy he used to be. Um, and I thought J-TRAV played better that spring than he did. Um, but I'm definitely, I mean, it's the coolest story, like Brendan said, that, that I've ever, you know, covered, um, just seeing his, his development. I mean, he, he's nothing like from, from a you know, personality standpoint to his play on the field, he's nothing like what he was, um, when he arrived here. And I think that's exactly what Mike Norvell's trying to sell to, to recruits and, and to what, you know, he can develop them into, you know, a grown man. I think that's what Jordan Travis is. He's a grown man on the football field and off of it. Um, just the way he carries himself is super impressive. And and I think the Florida game was just a perfect example of that. I mean, he just put the team on his back and led them to a, a huge victory against a rival.
2: Yeah, I remember when Jay
1: Trav arrived and the wind would beat him up as a passer.
2: I mean, we'd sit there and watch him struggle to throw the ball against the wind. And he comes in the BC game and he runs. And we all knew he was an athlete, but pretty magical in that moment. It, but yeah, he the the steps he's taken forward are just absurdly impressive. And more than anything, he wholeheartedly believes he's good. And it's really tough to stop a guy when he is talented and he also is confident. And that's a credit to Kenny Dillingham, that's a credit to Tony Tokar, certainly a credit to Mike Norvell and plenty of other people along the way within this program and people that surround J Trav who helped build him up into what he's become. But yeah, he's a leader. And on on Friday night, he when FSU had the habit, he delivered. And there is nothing better in this world than a player who is talented, but who also comes through when it matters most.
0: He very much so personifies the growth of this program. Like if you could can make it symbolic of what Mike Norvell has done, of, you know, put it on just one player, like it's Jordan Travis. And it, it again, is, is remarkable. And I struggle to contextualize like what we've seen. Chris mentioned the wind beating him up. I mean, there were, there were days where, where Jordan struggled to get the ball 15, 20 yards downfield accurately and, and over and over again. And his confidence was to the point, was ruined to the point where he was contemplating whether he wanted to play football anymore or whether he could play football. And for him to be built up into what we've seen this year. I mean, PFF has him as a as a top three graded quarterback in the power five level. And let that sink in. Um and, and that's not just and that and those are those are subjective Technically, measurements because because it's people measuring it and putting you know grades in in a system that they a grading system they have, but it's still people measuring it. But like his passer rating, I think 15th 14th uh, is fifteenth or fourteenth nationally. He's one of the more explosive runners at quarterback in the country. I mean, everything you look at with Jordan Travis, he's a winner. Statistically, it's there. I mean, the eye test just it continues to show like any any way you want to measure him, he's been an exceptional quarterback this season and just continues to to take strizing it better. Uh, One big reason why is the supporting cast though, too, like that. They deserve credit. The offensive line, what Alex Atkins has done with that group. Uh, They've been very solid, especially as they got continuity late in the season. Trey Benson rushes for hundred yards. Again, uh, he had 20 carries, 111 yards, three touchdowns, just, just a grown man. The way he runs, I feel fairly confident. He's going to come back. If so, you're talking about him coming back, talking about Johnny Wilson, probably coming back. Micah Pittman on pretty much all your wide receivers, other than Antonio Wilson. Uh, you're going to have a chance to run it back with a good chunk of this offense. This is an offense that's top 10 nationally in, in yards per play. I think top 20 nationally in points per game. You have a clear identity. You should only theoretically get better. We saw them not be able to score at will against Florida on Friday night, but 497 yards. And when you had to score, you found ways to do so. And, and I think that's, that's what this team can be next year as well with everyone coming back.
2: Uh, and adding a few other pieces.
0: We'll get to the portal talk in a little bit, boy. Don't don't get ahead of yourself. Uh, how many how many games in a row, Chris, is this with 200 yards rushing? Seven,
2: I, I think it's seven. Yeah, I believe it's seven. That's I haven't, I haven't done my final stats and notes because, well, life comes at you fast on weekends like this, but yeah, I believe it is seven, which but... streak wise would be oh, date back to like 95 or so. Let me see. Yeah, it's not 220, 227, seven straight game with 200 or more, longest streak in the country. The season longest for FSU since 87, which was also seven straight. I believe the sixth straight was 95.
0: 87. I wasn't born yet. I was four. It was a good year. Zach, you were negative what?
1: Negative 13.
0: <laughs> you were just a twinkle in your daddy's eyes. <laughs> Gross. All right, let's talk about the defense. <laughs> Not quite as glowing as the offense. Uh, a tale of two halves for sure. Uh you lost 460 yards against Florida. Anthony Richardson was very, very explosive in the first half vertically. Uh, their efficiency slash explosive rates were ex- absurdly high in the first half. Uh, Trevor Etienne is going to be a problem. Uh, really, really good. He had 129 rushing yards and only 17 carries. That's a true freshman who's going to end up being great. I think when, when you look at what's frustrating about this performance for the defense is there were so many uh, limitations that Florida had entering the game with their top two wide receivers out, and uh, only three players catch the ball for Florida throughout the game. But Florida has nearly 200 receiving yards, and it's Ricky Pearsall, the slot wide receiver, has 148 receiving yards. That's that's pretty absurd. He averaged 29.6 yards per, per uh, reception. Uh, it, it's a really you talk about a guy who just. I mean, it was really the only thing they had in the passing game and to not be able to contain him, for him to get isolated, what was it, Chris, probably two or three times downfield where he was able yeah, to get? Yeah,
2: Parasol had, I believe, three explosives. I think Odom had the other one in the passing game. FSU allowed 11 explosives in this game for 304 yards. On 27 so, attempts. I mean, that's yeah, not good. They allowed, well, 11 total explosives, including the run game, four gotcha. in the passing game. Uh, But if you take those plays out, they only allow, I think it's 156 yards on like 62 other plays or roughly two and a half per play. So it is really all about in Florida's offense. That's what they are to a degree. They are haymaking throwing offense. Haymaker throwing offense. Sorry, a little tired over here. Um, But yeah, it it was it was brutal out of the gate with some of the big plays. And then there were moments down the stretch at the end too that were not real enjoyable. We get gashed to some
0: degree yeah uh, florida ran for 262 yards chris is referring to getting gashed there was that 47 yard touchdown around the etn had to to tie it up or excuse me 45 yard uh touchdown to tie it up and, and i think though that okay so some context here one florida is a really good running team i think they're second nationally uh yeah. or, best
2: o-line fsu faces here in my opinion yep
0: yeah. and that was a little disturbing early on in the game when uh, i got hurt kitna came in and Billy Napier said, "All right, we're just going to run right at him and just basically did, basically did inside zone uh, over and over again." Richardson came back in the game. Thought Florida got away from that a little bit, uh, but but so so some context there for this being a really good rushing attack. Chris mentioned the offensive line very good, especially run blocking. FSU's defense was somewhat limited with as an excuse and explaining what happened. Akeem Dent was not good to go. He didn't practice really throughout the week. Jarquez McClellan did not practice throughout the week. So that's two safeties down. You have four total. They're comfortable playing. On the touchdown run that Trevor Etienne had uh, in, in the fourth quarter, go ahead and, and rewatch it. it. Sidney Williams is lined up at safety. Sidney Williams, who has been fun to watch on special teams this year, has been a really good culture guy for Florida State. He hasn't practiced at safety since midway point at least yeah or linebacker yeah he's been a linebacker and and so he's there trying to make a pre-play run fit check with Kalen DeLoach ball gets snapped there's confusion they both go to the same gap and you get gashed and and at that point I mean you I think Shaheen Brown left the game with with a a hammy or something he was fine he was in the post game press conference but but so you got depleted you got depleted at that position group and really, the, the magic sauce that was this backstretch of the season for the defense, in addition to playing some some lowly offenses with with quarterback issues, was the unleashing of Jamie Robinson. And with the lack of depth you had at safety in the first half, uh, do you guys re- agree with this? I, I think Florida State was hesitant to use Jamie Robinson in the same capacity which they used him previously. In the last yeah, month or so. they
2: they turned Jamie up in the second half. I mean, especially down the stretch, the last play of the game, he he looks like a man on fire trying to get after Anthony Richardson. Uh, first half though was just some blown coverages to some degree. I mean, Kevin Knowles had a couple of really bad moments. Um, you know, when it comes to those explosive plays, three of the four in the passing game are in the first half. Those three combined are for 127 yards through the year on three passing plays, two of which go for touchdowns. That, that stands out to you. You're going to remember that. You're not going to like that. In the second half, truthfully, the most uh, damaging explosive was the uh, Trevor Etienne run you referenced, the 45-yarder. Again, miscommunication issue at the line. You have three guys clumped together on the left. He shoots the gap through the middle. There's nobody there. as a safety net. It's not real good. They had two other runs in the second half, 35 and 15, that were chunk plays, and they had one pass for 21 in the second half. So there was an adjustment. There was an improvement. And certainly better communication. But the issue is that those other things still did show up. And, you know, they allowed 14 easy points on two plays. And they also generate some other points out of that. So it just can't be. Chaos was so much better in the second half. In the first half, they had one negative play. It was the last play of the first half. They had no negative plays. I believe on their first, I want to say it was 32 plays of that first half. That just shouldn't be the case. Florida does have a good line. They do get a good push. They do do a good job of avoiding negative plays, especially from a sack category. But still, at the end of the day, you have too much talent up front and too much talent as a whole among your 11 on defense not to generate some negative plays. Negative plays are so crucial when you're playing a team that throws haymakers because, yeah, put them in a third and 20. They're going to take a shot. But you can play so far off that you give yourself a little more comfort zone. If they do run something you're not expecting, you still have room to make up. When it's third and six, and they run play action, they're gonna they're gonna hit you for it. And yeah, I just I didn't think FSU's defense played particularly well in the first half at all. I thought they were okay in the second half. I didn't particularly love the fourth quarter and making it a little uncomfortable.
0: I, I will give them credit for the third quarter, and that was huge mm-hmm. in in FSU giving itself. Cushion three consecutive three and outs to start the third quarter on defense. And really, that was a matter of halftime adjustments. And and a lot of times, like people say, oh, did they make adjustments? And we really have a hard time articulating what they were. But this is so crystal clear what they did. Like they started becoming aggressive blitzing yeah. and they started sending Jamie Robinson into the box and uh, letting him letting him go. And they made Anthony Richardson uncomfortable for three drives in a row and and Florida then had to kind of counter and and get itself under under control and get used to it. But uh, we could be critical of how the defense performed and and didn't look like it was ready to handle the physicality of that game at times. But it, it did respond when it had to in a key stretch of the third quarter. And that really gives FSU enough ammunition to to at least uh, give itself a chance to win that game. So
2: yeah. uh, Nine plays, negative two yards, or those three, and three outs in a row. Yeah, And then they allowed the drive of 75 yards, but it took 13 plays. Florida had to work for it. A couple blemishes on that one. That tightens it up a bit. I believe FSU's next drive was a punt, and then they come and score a touchdown on that. One. So that's what makes it all so uncomfortable down the stretch.
0: So this has started a conversation on Twitter, on the message board. I don't know if we want to get super in-depth into it right now, but... Uh, a lot of people think that Adam Fowler's run uh, down the end of the season was smoke and mirrors because of the quarterbacks that you played. Miami had quarterback issues. Tyler Van Dyke wasn't hundred percent. Garrett Schrader was not a hundred percent. You could just say Miami has issues. Miami does have issues. Georgia Tech has issues. Uh, Louisiana has issues at quarterback as well. So there's a lot of issues. Uh, but Hey, hey, injuries are part of the game. Florida State had to play its toughest stretch of the schedule without its best defender. Yeah.
2: I mean, mean, we we had a similar conversation seven games into the year about defense, and, you know, I was, I think I essentially, to boil it down to Cliff Notes version, I was complaining about it, like how there wasn't enough chaos being created. Mm -hmm. And, you know, FSU is good when they create chaos. And I, I know that comes with a calculated risk, but, you got dudes. Jared versus is a dude. Jamie Robinson is a dude. You got dependable linebackers in this program for the first time in a long time. You know, Bernardo Green was a much better corner on the back half of the year than he was on the first half of the year. Jerry Ann Jones, if you're listening, I very much enjoyed your post game. Thank you, buddy. um Ann <laughs> Oh, he's listening. Um, but he was better in the second half of the year. Still had, you know, a moment here and there, but whatever, corners have this. You you're capable enough on defense to be good consistently. I, I I my biggest concern with our defense at FSU, watching it now for three years under the guidance it has, I don't always feel like they try to dictate terms. Sometimes I feel like they wait to get punched and then they try to counter punch. Yeah, I, I don't love that. I, I I don't know how far FSU goes with what they're trying to do defensively here currently. I mean beyond where they're at currently. I think they can compete for the ACC. I don't know if they can take that next step.
0: And that's, I mean, so then you're talking about whether FSU has uh, the scheme and the personality and the recruiting acumen at defensive coordinator Adam Fuller to be in the 99th percentile of of college football teams. They're they're
2: good defense, who's arguably very good, and from a statistical standpoint, they are very good. I'm not sure they can take a leap to a leap.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know whether I'm ready to say that because they've gotten better year over year under Adam Fuller. And I don't think they have an elite cast of tools. I think they have a few uh, really good players. To, to I mean, borderline elite. I mean, Jared versus probably an elite college pass rusher. Jamie Robinson's on the cut. Co- uh, w- w- nuance there. Uh, Jamie Robinson. Saving throwing that really word good. around, man. Nuance, nuance, nuance. Elite, 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 elite. elite. Yeah, that's the one. Um, but they've gotten better year over year and not just year over year, because what they started with in 2020 and fuller's first year was not great, uh, but better than what they were in 2019 and 2018. And probably better than what they were in 2017 when they had guys like Jalen Ramsey in no wait, Sorry. That was, that was not Jalen Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey 2015. Hang on 2017. They did have Derwin James though. Uh, and they had, do they have freshman Brian Burns then in 2017? We're going back a ways. Think about it. I think they did. I'm not sure offhand, and I'm tired. Oh, okay. So. so I'm not
2: gonna I'm not gonna lead you down the street the right way. Or they had sophomore Brian Burns Sorry.
0: then. They had sophomore Brian Burns, and they had uh, Derwin James in in 2017. So I'm saying you had some; uh, those were like elite NFL talents that you had on the roster. and, and I think you're doing as well, if not better. Now, than you, then you did with that group of guys in 2017, uh, off the top I've, of my head. So, I've
2: also seen in this discussion going on with it, and I think it's a fair discussion to a degree. Obviously, it gets a little out of hand at times, but uh, people essentially saying at some point it's going to cost FSU a game. Like, that's a concern. I think that's a fair concern.
0: I think part of it, and you've been consistent with this, Chris, so this, this isn't you that I'm talking about, but I think the, the target has changed. I mean, it was whether he was good defensive coordinator a few years he is ago. Good. And he's proven that he's good. And now it's like, oh, well, can he be, uh, can he win us a national championship? Okay. Like, find me the list of, of national championship winning defensive coordinators out there. And how many of them can you attract to FSU right now? Like, I'm just, it's not a, and to assume that he can't get there because he hasn't gotten there yet when he, all he's done is gotten better throughout his career and made this current defense better. I'm just not ready to, to say that he's capped out and that he's yeah. not the guy because he's just having, gotten better. I, I don't know what else to say. I I follow trends. I follow statistics and it's getting better. I don't know where the ceiling is. On it's kind of refreshing.
2: Forward. We're having this conversation. It means FSU is ahead of schedule and we're projecting him to be even
1: better.
0: FSU is ahead of schedule. It's nine and three. All three of us had them probably had about seven wins when we did our uh, decimal whatnot i think I was closer to six you are the pessimist of the group typically i think i was right at was seven i think you were just
2: slightly ahead of me sanone i think the highest we had as a group was like seven and a half eight yeah, so um
0: yeah this is this is beyond our wildest dreams don't have to watch some crappy movie that subpart f is going to pick because of this thank god he doesn't have moderator duties i forget if that would have been 11 or 12 wins but um this team is ahead of schedule this program is moving in a direction that is really exciting. There's going to be big expectations now in 2023, which is going to take us to the next topic before we get into Bayer's to and that's, Chris, who walked and who didn't on on senior day?
2: Uh, Most of the ones you expect walked. Uh, I would say the most surprising name to me was Tatum Bethune, linebacker. You know, we had heard for a few weeks that the expectation was both linebackers were probably returning. Obviously, all of this comes with the caveat of discussions always happen as the season's wrapping up and stuff with guys having to make a, true decision, but he decided to walk. I I heard through the grapevine that that was sort of a do it just in case type of scenario where if you do decide to move on, you did enjoy that moment. You had that moment, but that's not certainty that he is departing. And FSU was very clear when they shared that list. I think it was 17, 18 guys total of, you know, because of how eligibility is currently in college athletics because of the COVID year that some of these guys can potentially return and may potentially return so I'm interested what Bethune does in the end. But uh, I didn't expect him on the list. I was surprised when I got the list and he was on it. He was the one guy that you know I did not expect to be on there that we did see on there. Um, but that list was also changing up to an hour or two hours before we got it. You know, There was an individual I know was supposed to be on it, and then he was not on it. And you know, I do expect him back, that individual. So like it's, it's insignificant in the grand scheme of things. No, it wasn't Jordan Travis. No, it wasn't oh. Trey Benson. No, it oh. wasn't Jared Burst. It was nobody of that discussion. It was a guy who's more of a two-deep type player who from an age standpoint could move on but does
0: also have not even eligibility.
1: Guess down in the comments who it is, and Chris will be there to you know, tell you if you're right or wrong.
0: Chris, can you do a projected depth chart for us? Why not? Uh, White Rector.
2: Yeah. Long, but you, you, you knew that was happening, correct?
0: I mean, I don't like to... To say that I know things all the time, but yeah, pretty good indication. But you were not surprised by that. His, last his, mom, game. his mom tweeted that, that yeah, it was yeah. his last game. So that's probably.
2: I, did, I don't know if people saw it. Jermaine Johnson shared a really awesome. Yeah, that was awesome. I thought that was really cool. As a guy, you know, we've talked plenty about Jermaine last year about how he was a one year guy, but he completely stepped into this thing and did what he did. I thought that was really cool on his part. Dylan Gibbons walked. Uh, you know, we've sung many pra- praises for him. I think the best thing you can say about Dylan is he's a guy that wholeheartedly invested himself in this program beyond what he did on the field. He did great things off it, but too, with big man, Dick but on the field, what he did for that O-line room, he took ownership of it and uh, it it made it a better group, made it a better room. And I think there's things he did for that room that when he walks out the door, those things are still going to exist and those things are going to kind of persevere. And that's how you build a culture. And that's a huge credit to Dylan, Robert Cooper. I love you, Big Coop. Uh, you've known you for like seven years, eight years, I think 2016, 2015 is the first time I met Coop. I absolutely love that dude. Um, you know, he walked, he loves his place. He was always all the way in with Odell. He talked about that last week about how him and Odell made a promise to each other. and He saw it through to the end. Uh, who else walked that I'm trying to think? Uh, Amari Pokey Gaynor Wilson, walked, Amari Gaynor, a an, local. An extra
0: year of eligibility yep. potentially, so that's noteworthy. Um,
2: Pokey Wilson was another
0: one. Cam McDonald walked. Yes, yeah.
2: and you know, he is and a he, guy he, with exhausted eligibility.
0: And he had a good final final uh, showing at Doak, so good on him. I thought he got better as the year went on. Big Beach uh, was another Big one. Big Jazz. Jazz and Turnitine. Uh, So who didn't walk? Big Meach. Who didn't walk? Jordan Travis did not walk. He would have certainly been eligible to walk if he wanted to.
2: Yeah. Fabo and Jamie walked, obviously, but we knew that was coming. They're going to senior bowl. Um,
0: Trey Benson did not walk. It's noteworthy. Uh, neither of the wide receiver transfers who would technically be third or fourth year guys. Uh, they didn't walk. Jared Verse, I would venture a guess is probably going to be going pro we'll see get into i, I think in the next couple weeks uh these guys make announcements of coming back or leaving roster projections scholarship allocation all those fun off-season nerdy number articles that transaction like time it is transaction time we will embrace it uh, but you know what else we're going to embrace though fellas
1: like, <laughs>
0: there we go thank you brought to you by the turner group the Turner group don't buy or Sinone on buying or no. Wait,
1: what do I want to say?
0: <laughs>
1: don't Sorry, I, feel like, I feel like
2: maybe we shouldn't have done this pod when we're all
1: clearly exhausted. Don't Sinone on buying, right?
0: Yeah, keep going, Zach. You got it. No,
1: what I'm you do it. You're you're doing the ad read. Don't
0: so known on buying or selling a home because it can be a daunting, overwhelming process. No, no, no. Go to someone who you trust to make things easier on you. Go to someone who's going to work for you. And that's Colin and Amy Turner of the Turner Group. You guys got it. You guys got it. Uh, They work extremely diligently to meet the demands of buyers and sellers in the central Florida and just the state of Florida in general. Uh, but in the Central Florida areas where their expertise lays, lies, lays, lies. Sorry, Colin. (laughs) If you're interested in buying or selling a home or even just getting information on the process, reach out to Colin Turner of the Turner Group at 407-403-8546 or email him at getstartedattherturnergroup.com. Let's go quickly through these Buyers to Knowns. I appreciate the Buyers to Known questions. Uh, There were a lot of them that were just Will you have over under one point five. Will they have five of this? Will they have ten of this? Will they? We are in the off season, clearly. Buy Orsonone TB three golf seven one four. Buy Orsonone. This is the most fun you've had covering college football in your careers, Zach. I'll start with you, uh, as you were doing the tomahawk chop on Black Friday. I saw it. Homer, no, you
1: didn't. Um, yes, close second is Willie Tiger. Buy. Um, close second is Willie Taggart before VTech.
0: What about Willie Taggart? Where was Willie Taggart after Virginia Tech in last. the
1: Pantheon? Last.
0: Okay. I'll
1: go with
2: Sonone. I got to cover uh Coach Bowden. Now, for me, you know, as someone who grew up watching this program and stuff, that that was a pretty awesome experience. So Boo. I feel like something in that stretch was there. But I I have immensely enjoyed covering this program in the last two years. The third year, the first year of Norville doesn't really count because of the pandemic situation. But the last two years have been great. The, the access is phenomenal. I enjoy it. I appreciate it. I like being able to watch football practice. I like seeing how the sausage is made. Um, And they're improving. Like, I very much enjoy the fact that I watch guys develop on a daily basis and that the program is getting better in real time. And it's not solely an acquisition of talent that's making them better. It's taking the dudes you have and making them better dudes. I like that part of it. So yeah, I, I have very much enjoyed the last two years.
0: I wonder if Tyler's question is about this specific stretch this year or just the Mike Norvell era. Um, and I say that because I, I think for me, and this has been a fun season, it's been exhausting too, because people care. Too many
2: night kickoffs. Oh,
0: that's been part of it for sure. Uh, but people care a lot about this program right now. And so there's a demand for content and i listen it. It it, last year, if I'd forgotten to do a snap count tracker one week, no one would have said anything or remembered that I forgot to do it. Uh, This, this year is not the case. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of stuff going on, but it's still fun. And I'd much rather that what I was going to say is I really, really thoroughly enjoyed the second half of last season. I, I think to me that was the most fun I've had covering football because, because kind of what the reasons Chris said for just covering this program and getting to see it in person, I saw growth in live time. And and more so you could feel it. Like you just feel it happening around you and you can pay attention to little things like body language and the way guys were responding to coaches. You saw players starting to perform faster at practice. You saw uh, the way the coaches were responding to players look a little different as well. And then you got to see it start to kind of manifest itself on the field. And it wasn't always uh, perfect, but my favorite favorite basketball team ever growing up was the 1999-2000 Heart & Hustle Orlando Magic team. And yeah, that's super inside basketball. Bo Outlaw, Bo outlaw! Daryl Armstrong. I mean, yeah, it was a, it was a, a cast of, of guys who were, there was a team that was trying to tank before tanking was a thing uh, in effort to dump salary cap for the next year uh, to get Trace McGrady and Grant Hill. And that didn't work out too well for them. Uh, ben Wallace was on that team and they, they almost had a 500 record and a team that had no business doing so. And that's what last year's team reminded me of. Uh, so this is the, this is the continuation of that this season, and it's been fun. But last year, it's like that that climb that Mike Norvell talks about was the first time I got to see it in person, and, and I think that's the most fun I've had covering college football. But as a continuation, yes, I've had a lot of fun covering Mike Norvell's uh, FSU teams. Matt329, Bayer-Sanone, brought to you by the Turner Group. Shout out, Matt. I appreciate it. Uh, Jordan Travis is in New York for next year's Heisman presentation. Bye. And I'm going to New York. I'm buying tickets, baby. If, if he's in there, I'm going.
2: They invite most years, what, three to five? Is
0: uh, yeah, I guess. I I remember in 13, I went. That was my first year covering FSU. That was a fun year, I guess. I think they had five to maybe seven. There was a lot of guys. It was Jameis. It was AJ McCarron. It was Jordan Lynch. Oh, Jordan Lynch. Jordan Lynch. Uh, who was the big running back from Boston College?
2: AJ Dillon?
0: No. No, it was before him. Andre Williams. Dillon. Andre Williams, does that sound right? Yeah. Was Trey Mason part of it? The, there, there was, there was, maybe it was, I thought it was like six or seven guys. Maybe, maybe it wasn't. Uh, college football wasn't great that year, by the way. <laughs> there, was, there was one juggernaut of a team. That everyone else was kind of bid. Um, but, anyways, I'm, I, I buy. I think Jordan Travis is going to be on, on the radar. And if he replicates what he did this season, with you know another win or two extra then yeah i think he'll he'll be a heisman finalist what say you guys
2: also known just to you know be different than the namesake of Sononing, Mm -hmm. and uh that's just because it's such a limited number it's a tough deal to get there um you got he's got to be the best quarterback in this league and we talked earlier in the show about there's two dudes in this league so do i think he can be that guy yeah i do do i think he has a shot sure i'll just know in sense of a numbers game
1: Bye, baby. Out for <laughs> high, baby.
0: Mm-hmm. Fingar, 75, unknown. So let's spend a little bit of time on, on this one, and we'll go faster through the other ones, but I think this is worth talking about. So Fingar, 75, unknown. Mike has eliminated all legitimate factors that contribute to negative recruiting FSU right now. So for, for, first off, before you guys answer, remember last year before the early signing period, like a, a day before they announced the contract extension? That was just a verbal contract extension at that point. Uh, there was undoubtedly negative recruiting for Florida State last year.
2: I would say it's pretty close to buy. Uh, the NIL factor is still there, but that's gotten better, a lot better. Um, but, you know, it's not quite that upper top elite tier of just throwing money into outer space.
0: Um I, I think that's going to only keep getting better for what it's. worth. I agree too. with you, and, and that's not even agree. negative recruiting though, Chris. Like that's just no, but it
2: eliminates the possibility of certain individuals. Yeah, FSU sure still has no. to pick their punches. I don't I don't think FSU can go into any and all recruiting battles and compete. Still, from it, an
0: they have to pick their pen punches from a sheer volume standpoint. Of, yes, like you can't have a board of like twenty players that you're. FSU is not going to buy a class of FSU isn't right buying a class. First off, collectives, I and mean, you don't buy recruits, wink, wink nah. guys. Okay, nah. uh, but I mean, last year, last year, the perception of NIL or lack of NIL was problematic. I think for someone like like Marvin Jones Jr., for instance, yeah. like I don't even think that's uh, on the radar at this point. Not not to completely nuke your point, Chris, but I I, I don't even think that's a legitimate talking point at this point.
2: From the things Mike Norvell can actually control, though, yes, he's done a great job of combating those, changing those. There's a great deal of stability here. They develop players. They're going to put guys in the league for a second year in a row. Uh, Yeah, I, I think that it's rolling pretty good. The offense is made for playmakers and explosive. that. That sales pitch is now very true. The defense is a capable, good unit that produces very good players who produce at a high rate. At all three levels, we've seen linebackers improve. Jamie Robinson's great safety, defensive line. There's plenty of examples over the last two years. Fabian Love and Jared First being the most recent. So, I think a whole lot of uh, negative recruiting's been combated. I think it's going to be pretty freaking fun around these parts, January to June. I think they're going to get really good talent in, and I think they're going to be in the game for really good guys. And all, a lot of the things we complained about, you know, nine months ago, and as little as four months ago, I think are kind of things of the past. I think that they're they're turning the corner and approaching a new part of the raceway
1: yeah um i think chris put it perfectly for what norvell can control which he cannot really control nil um i would say that it's a buy. you sing louder brennan yep um yeah i would say it's a buy i think uh i think he's done a great job at you know one of the biggest knocks, so you look at the Brock Glenn recruitment, for instance. Um, one of the biggest knocks on Norvell coming into the season was his job security. Did not have a great first two seasons in Tallahassee. Goes and wins nine games, has a chance to win 10 with a bowl this season. And you go and land Brock Glenn probably 95% because of the season. You know, 5% because the coaches stayed on him. Um, you don't plan him if you don't communicate, but... I mean, he was focused on the season and FSU went and handled business. Um, so you're already seeing the results of that and, and the rewards of that. And I think uh, Norvell's done an excellent job at, at uh, you know, ridding some of the negative recruiting. Yes, there will still be negative recruiting. Schools will find a way to, to you know, poison any any other opposing school in a recruitment as much as they can. Um, but FSU's done a good job at eliminating some of the, the low-hanging fruit, um, I, I would say.
0: You put it perfectly, Zach. And the Brooklyn uh, point is probably the that that's the quintessential example of FSU really limiting that. Yeah, you're going to find some some minutia that that teams can get it into, like oh, you know that you're they're going to go after another guy at your position group in the next year, or they're going to go after a transfer. They don't want you as much as we do. What that's just recruiting, but like the big overarching program concerns. Uh, that is, for the time being, that, that's been eliminated. Yeah, and so. it's
2: happened in real time, and you can see it. Brock Len's a great example. Beat out Ohio State. Hakeem Williams is another example. Beat out multiple very good programs. Blake Nicholson went head-to-head with Oregon, won that one. Cetric Did you Batchier, beat out a good
0: program for Hakeem Williams? Well, Texas a I mean, Miami, I mean, all kinds
1: good of good NIL different. program.
2: Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Zach. Um, you know, on defense – Brought up Blake with Oregon, you know, Keldrick Falk's a very good one. Auburn obviously wants that's one that you probably still need to watch down the stretches because Auburn's making a coaching change.
0: Tennessee um, as well.
2: Yeah, Tennessee's another one that one Lucas Simmons is another example of a guy that you went head to head with several and you went out. So yeah, it's starting to show. And I think that trend will continue. It's a program that constantly seems to be trending up in multiple ways.
0: NYC Null. 92, Bayer-Sanone, Chrisney loves this game when covering a nine-win football team. Uh, I, I will buy that, but not as much as he loves covering a one-win basketball team. that's number one for him.
2: Uh, uh, yeah, it's going to stay one-win tonight too, boys. <laughs> oh, um, <Jesus. laughs> so bad. What was the exact question that NYC asked?
0: bayer known Chrisney loves this game when covering a nine-win football team.
2: The game of football or the Florida
0: game? I think... Oh, I think Florida State I, um, like football. Yeah,
2: I, I enjoy covering Florida State all the time. I get frustrated when it's an unorganized mess, as it was for a few years there, and when it's you know it's not fun to sit through watching it having to be gutted to start over and not sure it's going to work if you do that, which is what 2020 was for FSU. But no, I, I, I've always enjoyed. It. There's a hell of a lot worse jobs I could be doing than the one I do.
0: By the way, Willie Taggart fired at FAU. That man can't get fired
2: on a Monday. He always gets fired before Monday. I think that says something. That's just me. I mean, send know. Quentin Flowers some flowers.
1: Kenny, Kenny to ASU. How about that? Uh,
0: can, well, all right, let's pause real quick and talk about coaching stuff. Yeah, Kenny Dillingham takes the head coaching job at ASU. Zach, I did not watch the press conference yet. I heard that Kenny had a lot of energy.
1: Dude, no, not. There were moments. Yet. Sorry, didn't
2: mean to cut you off. I didn't mean to be like Brendan, but Kenny had moments where he <gasps> sounded a heck of a lot like Mike. Yeah, like I noticed that there were also moments where Kenny was exactly like he was here, where he's very passionate, emotional, almost like bringing himself almost to tears because he is emotionally yeah. invested. He loves Arizona State. When Kenny Dillingham was here, he would talk about I mean, he, he intended to become a head coach like that was his goal. He was working towards that. He would talk about that place as a potential landing spot because of the ties to the area, the ties to the university from his time there. Like, he's all in on that thing. He wanted that job. It is home. I think he, in fact, said the quote, this is home. No, really, it's home or something like that. (laughs) It is for that guy. I'm happy for him. Good for Kenny. That place is going to go through some stuff because of what the prior regime did there. He's going to weather that storm. He's going to battle. I know he's going to recruit his backside off. And the guy's an excellent recruiter, great relationship builder. I hope he finds success there. It would be great for him. It would be great for Mike's coaching tree. Yeah, I'm rooting for Kenny. I like Kenny.
0: Kenny and I had talked about I remember it was on a I think it was on June, like a June official visit like wrap up and we were talking about it was right when the Arizona State scandal stuff started to break yeah and we were talking about just like what they were going to do next and yeah they were talking about hiring a new coach you know for a year and trying to and and I just remember saying like oh they're probably going to have to Bear this one through for a year or two, see what happens. But like they may have to hire someone who wouldn't be like it would be the opposite of a, of Herm Edwards, someone who isn't super experienced, uh, somebody you're taking a risk on. And Kenny was like, Oh, like a young Kenny Dillingham. <laughs> <laughs> That's ultimately what happened. I mean they, they they their pool probably wasn't huge because of potential NCAA stuff, but also like stars aligning for Kenny and and maybe for that program too, because he did a really good job with. Oregon this past year offense was really good he, he's had two two I guess I would say reclamation projects at quarterback two years in a row that have gone extremely well for him so yeah good for he Kenny. always loved
2: he always loved him some Bo Nicks.
0: he did uh, there was a decent chance Bo Nicks would have been here this season there there's a version of history of Kenny Dillingham stays where Jordan Travis doesn't have the Jordan Travis season and, and then Bo Nicks go at it for a starting quarterback job and, and you know whoever doesn't get it leaves or something like that I don't know that would have existed. But people um real quick sidebar on Kenny, people
2: have asked, like, do we expect to lose people to Arizona State because of Kenny? I don't know what he said today with regards to coaching, but I think he hires a staff that has a lot of ties to that area in the West Coast. I, I don't I'm not overly concerned about FSU losing multiple people. He may claim a person or two, not necessarily on field staff to come work with him because of prior relationships, but I, I I'm not like toe cards would surprise me to be but, perfectly honest. And that's what I've seen thrown
0: out there. I'm fairly sure that tow cars would have had a chance to go with Kenny to Oregon mm-hmm. as a quarterback coach. If if that was something that he would have wanted. Um, I don't know that from Tony for uh, that from other people, um, but you know, if it's an offensive coordinator position or something like that, like, okay. I mean, that's probably what it would have to take uh, to, to go ahead and do that. But so, so basically my point is that I, I on field, guys would have had a chance to follow Kenny to Oregon and that didn't happen. If It's off field staff. Okay. That would maybe make more sense, but we'll, we'll see. Um, other jobs around college football that are happening that are worth talking about. Uh, let's see. So Jim Leonard did not get hired at Wisconsin.
2: Fickle. fickle moved up to the big 10.
0: Fickle did. Uh, why were people surprised by that? Because they thought it was going to be Jim Leonard, or I, I
2: think there was somewhat the in-house hiring. Also, f- a lot of places have come after Fickle. I mean, heck, I think FSU talked to Fickle when they hired Bell um, Fickle was a Big Ten guy through and through. And if you think about the Big Ten right now, he, he's not taking Michigan because he hates the place. Plus, Harbaugh is probably not going anywhere. Ryan Day's is probably not going anywhere anytime soon. So Ohio State's not opening. Tucker's got a what nine years left on his deal at Michigan State, so that's not opening anytime soon.
0: Wisconsin's
2: good. the next job, right? I mean, it's them and what, or Penn, Penn State. State.
1: Yeah, and
2: I don't think Franklin's going anywhere. He's got a pretty lengthy deal, deal too. So, like, if you are going to move up, like at some point, you got to make that move. And he's taking over a place that has a good defense at Wisconsin. You know, Leonard's done a phenomenal job with what he's built on that side of ball. They just have to revolutionize and bring their offense, you know, out of the eighties and try to make it good. And I think that's what Fickle will go there and do. So I think it's a pretty good job. Plus Madtown's always going to support football, good, bad or ugly. Those people love that place. So like, it's a very good place for crowd support and fan support. So I think it's a good move. I think it's a smart, calculated move. I think it's more so that it, his name didn't get thrown about a
0: ton during that
2: process kind of came out what in the last 48 hours. And obviously yeah. it happened in the last 24.
0: It happened quickly. Yeah. Uh, one that's kind of, Uh, Who knows, by the time you guys listen to this, it may have finality. It's been reports one way and the other back and forth, and that's uh, Willie Fritz to Georgia Tech. He's done a really great job at Tulane. Uh, That's that's a job worth mentioning because that's one I think that you start looking at jobs Alex Atkins would be qualified for. That would make sense. It's a good program and a good recruiting ground, uh, and Alex Atkins has experience at that program.
2: Yeah, three seasons. I think he was what associate or assistant head coach during his time there. So,
0: yeah, yeah, and so, and so and that's not inside knowledge. That's just that's connecting dots. You start talking about jobs that open up that would be a good fit for someone, and that someone would be qualified for. Like that would make sense. Someone also, ask, you, also,
2: to, a I we've talked about acting some with head coaching. I don't think he's just going to take one to take one. I think right. he's going to take one that's kind of positioned to be good. And Tulane, obviously,
0: Tulane fits that. For,
2: plenty of moments this year was the best group of five team in college football as far as ranking
0: Cincinnati job opening up like is interesting like maybe that's a place that Jim Leonard is qualified for maybe that's a place that Adam Fuller is qualified for like that that would wouldn't be shocking to me he's going to probably start getting interviews for head coaching jobs at the G5 level um, so that would I guess they're gonna be power five fairly soon but that would be one that would Maybe make a little sense. So anyways, there's jobs opening up to where like stuff's going to start moving. It's going to be a fun off season. And I think FSU is going to have coaches who are going to be the mix for things. Do we agree. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, cool. 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 Moving back to by or Sanone This is from Chris three, 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 three. By or we go after Trey Sanders. If Baxter doesn't come, I mean, Sinone, this isn't 2021. Um, Trey now. Sanders was supposed to come here. Uh, coach a b know. December 5th is going to be an exciting day for FSU that's a transfer portal uh opening for Fbs level zach you buying that
1: um yeah you know, i don't know i'm like branding that after uh after December 5th like the, the days after the weeks after that's going to be when you know fsu could get some oh. good news. But we're it'll we're be, not
0: gonna be like going crazy that day, though. I like, said
1: for FS, like for I'm, I'm FS, telling you, I'm branding like, it. Brendan can't wait. This
2: is Christmas Day for this dude. Like, no, like, I agree. No, he's super us, excited.
1: For us covering it, I think it's be super fun and exciting. But he's he's sitting at no, the tree waiting
2: to open the presents.
1: You have to think FSU also has to play defense a little bit. Um like it's gonna be a hectic day for, for these programs across the country. Um, they're they're both having to do evals for you know, they just finished their season. Some of them are preparing for bowls, and now they're going to have to do, you know, live evals of all the guys that are entering the portal, which I'm sure is not something that they hate. That's, you know, a ton of work. And then you have to work on keeping your own roster intact. So I think it's going to be exciting, but it's also going to be hectic. It's the
0: it, day Derek Ray was right, born for. God, what a buzzkill, sack! S-Dog, Father, byers sponsored by the Turner Group. Thank you. The Destin Hill saga is finally over. So, carry Destin- <laughs> <laughs> one day we will be able to tell part of the story, but probably still not all of it. It's in mystery. Kellum seven Byers Snow someone from 24 seven will ask the first press conference question by end of year. Oh, we ask plenty of questions, guys. Listen, we ask plenty. Uh, Vikings, 2010 Byers Snow FSU finishes inside the top 10 after bowl season.
2: Uh, college football playoff top 10. Do they do that after ball season or that perhaps to,
0: before bowl season? Is going? do you want to debate about the non college football polls? Okay, so
2: AP and uh, USA Today both have FSU at this point at 14, moving up from 16 a week ago. Uh, you know, LSU probably loses this coming week. That's another spot FSU probably moves up as they become a four loss team. Um, Nah, I'm sure there's somebody else ahead there that will probably lose this coming week. Who's the Pac-12? It's USC, and who are they playing? Is it uh, Utah? I think it's Utah.
1: Yeah, I think Utah.
2: Yeah, so you know USC could potentially lose. I don't know if they plummet that much. I think FSU enters the ball game season around 12, roughly. So if they win, so yeah, yeah, I think there's, there's a the fair chance. Plus, plus, some of that final ranking is. I know it's not supposed to be, but from an AP perspective, I feel like some of that final ranking is also, hey, we think this team might be pretty good next year. Mm-hmm. So I think there's some of that for FSU. All
0: right. That's it for Buyers to Know. Thank you to the Turner Group for sponsoring us. A reminder, leg- legitimately, uh, support the people who support this segment. We have fun with it. So if you are in the market or considering it, please do feel free to give Colin a call. All right, let's take a quick commercial break from our other sponsors. When we return, we've got a ton of recruiting stuff to get to. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does.
1: They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating
0: you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15
1: a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45
0: Welcome back to On the Bench. Before we get into the recruiting rundown from a really hectic weekend that that Zach and Chris and Dane uh, really all crushed. It was fantastic coverage by Knowles 24-7. I'm gonna draw your attention to Knowles to 24-7 in a promo we got going on. Chris, what is it, 75% off for a year? Is that something?
2: Yeah, nice? 75% off. It goes until midnight tomorrow evening, Monday evening. So you got basically 24 hours left to cash in on that. 75 75- percent off annually or dollar for the first month are the two options currently going on. I think it's well worth it. We'll,
0: you know, we'll make
2: sure it's money well
1: spent and we
0: appreciate it. Zach, where are we right now in the network?
1: We are currently ranked number three Ooh. in the network for this uh promo, you know, the, the amount of subs sold. So get us to number one, guys, and and you know, I think this week it only proves kind of what what kind of coverage we we will provide you and continue to provide you, and it's only going to get better. Um, as this next month is about to be a crazy recruiting and transfer portal month, um, so so get locked in with us.
0: No lies told. No lies told. All right, let's get into a few of the big names and big developments on on the recruiting front. I will direct you to Knowles twenty four seven for all the recruiting coverage. It was expansive, extensive. There was a ton going on. We're still uh, trying to get out content from Friday and Saturday and Sunday. It's just so much to get to, so it'll be throughout the week. Uh, but let's get into some of the highlights. Let's start off with one of the first surprises of the day, Zach. One that was like a legit surprise. It's not a surprise that we're, hey, we thought may happen or we, we knew was going to happen. and We just had to wait. But this is one that when you saw him there, I think you were a little surprised. And that's uh, it's a it's a big dude to be surprised by, too. That's that's defensive tackle, four star Jordan Hall.
1: Yeah. So I was actually kind of wrapping up, I thought, um, interviews outside of Doak at 1 a.m. in the morning after the game. Um, kind of just out there by, you know, where the Sod Cemetery is a little bit, you know, in front of that. Um, and I'm on the phone with Dane Draper, just kind of going over, you know, who the interviews I got, kind of what the plan is for for getting them out to you guys, and out walks Jordan Hall. And I'm like, what? I didn't know Jordan Hall was there, first of all, because he, I guess he had arrived close to game time. So I didn't see him before the game when I was out there by the IPF. Um, see him walk out. I'm like, Dane, I got to go it's Jordan Hall. And I talked with him for like four to five minutes. Um, The full, the full story of our conversations on the seven. Brennan posted that for me, Uh, very kind of him uh, as I was studying for some exams this week, but, uh, but Jordan Hall, yeah, that was, it was a huge surprise. Um, I was told on Friday morning uh, that FSU was kind of, it was like a 50, 50 shot that he was going to show up. Um, Jordan Hall is kind of unpredictable when it comes to visits. He just kind of shows up and, Um, you know, you just host him when he gets there, so it's, it's not something that FSU fully expected, but they were, they had some confidence that he'd show up. Um, and it was a pretty big deal, um, because he said it was an awesome, you know, visit overall love, love seeing the on-field performance and seeing them getting a, get a win over another team that's involved in his recruitment in, in UF that is expected to host him on an official visit next weekend. Um, The biggest news coming out of our conversation was that he said that he could possibly take in a midweek official visit to Florida State, which would likely fall in between his UF official visit next weekend and his Georgia uh, visit set for the weekend following. Um, And I think that right now I I would still have Georgia in the lead. Uh, I kind of asked him like uh, a straight up question. I was like, you know, it seems like FSU has kind of been fading your recruitment recently um just you know what does this visit do as to as to their chances moving forward and he basically said that you no know, fsu wasn't fading he was just kind of trying to look out for some new options and i think that he's kind of referencing georgia there there was school that's really surged in his recruitment lately a lot of people around the industry view as as the leader for his services but fsu has um you know made a little a splash with that visit and i think if you get him in for a midweek o- ov you know you who knows what could happen um he but says he. you, he's, he's you said, need
0: that, right, Zach? Like to have a oh, 100%, chance. Yes. that sure. has to,
1: okay. Yeah, you don't get you're not you have no shot if you don't get him on an OV, just to make that clear. Um but if you do, you have at least a fighter's chance. And I think uh, you know, he he makes a, a his decision, he says probably on December 16th. Um he's had that set in his mind for, for a while. Um, which would mean that he's probably not going to take an official that last weekend, which starts on December sixteenth, and then the the early signing period starts on the twenty first. So
0: I, I did wow. like listening to the interview and transcribing it for the story. You trying to wrap your head around why December sixteenth and him trying to explain it?
1: Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, dude, you know, you could just announce on signing day like four days later and take You're another. Like, no, visit. no, he's this is like,
0: the day it was supposed to be. It. Yeah, yeah. he's <laughs> like,
1: well, the signing day got moved a week later. So, and I've had this. Like On the on the schedule for a while So I'm just going to do it now I'm like okay, that makes sense So FSU is one of his first offers He's always had a good relationship
2: with Odell JP's also involved with him being a Jacksonville kid The relationship is there FSU has ground to make up on Georgia We'll see if they can He's an extremely talented dude I think he can step in here and be a major impact player At that position Yeah, If they don't get him to go portal Probably at that position
0: Let's talk about the wide receivers who are on campus real quick. Uh, p- yeah, let's talk about we had Heikeem Williams, obviously, Florida State commitment. Zach Hughes rock a couple of different shirts that I think are noteworthy.
1: Yeah, so Saturday or for Friday's game, he was wearing in Norvell, I trust, and then showed up on on Saturday for a little time with the staff. And in, in in Dugan's, I trust, referencing Ron Dugan's the receiver coach, his main main guy at FSU. So that was hey, pretty cool to see. Cu-
0: customized shirts uh, for the team you're committed to a, a few weeks before signing days. Not a bad sign by any means. Uh, what was the, what was the the cliff notes version of your conversation with him before we get to a couple of the, the other uh, surprise names at water receiver who showed up?
1: Yeah. So he, he loved the game, um, said this visit only topped his previous one. Um, for the Clemson game um, the environment, especially inside Campbell stadium was, was electric. As he noted, he, uh, he says he's hundred percent locked in. I asked him about whether he'll take any other visits down the stretch. Um, he, he mentioned to me, I did not bring up. Um, he mentioned to me that a, an official visit to Texas A&M is possible. I checked on this uh, via source close to Hakeem. And I think that if, he were to make a visit nothing set by the way he does not have an official visit set as of um what, what it is, sunday morning yeah, yeah well sunday morning i checked um and he does not uh, doesn't have an official visit set to texas AM. if he does i was told it's basically um a promise he made back you know earlier on in his recruitment that he would take an official um and it's not a big deal um is what i was told so um you know take that for what you will i don't i'm not worrying Um, I think he's locked in. I believe him at his word. He's, I mean, look at the shirts he brought up this weekend. He's been an active recruiter for FSU. I know Hakeem is really uh, heavy in the ear of uh, FSU priority defensive back target, Edwin Joseph down there in South Florida at Chaminade high school. Um, That's a guy that FSU continues to feel good about. Um, And a large reason for that is because Hakeem is, is selling FSU's vision for them. So I'm not worried. Um, and, and uh, you know, we have a full interview with him on the Nelson seven YouTube page that you guys can actually go watch from after the game. Um, and he he was pretty candid and, and great in that interview. Um, cool moment. Uh, before we started the interview, he was kind of signing some autographs and taking some photos with uh, a couple FSU fans following the game. So that was that was pretty awesome to see. But yeah, all positive vibes there. Just wanted to yeah. note on that one visit.
2: It's worth remembering with Hakeem that uh, he decided, you know, into the season, but he really had an idea it was FSU in July. He was committed to this before the passing attack became what it now is. So I, I think that's a positive thing for FSU. The other two receivers we were talking about, Angie Jean committed to Florida, former Miami commitment to, could potentially pull the hat trick if he makes a flip. Uh, I, Zach can chime in here too. From what I know on Andy entering the visit, and he opted not to speak when he wrapped up on Saturday after coming back to campus, is that FSU has been working to get him here for an official in December. I think that's still the effort. That's what they're hoping to do. Uh, There's some relationship there with Randy Shannon, Ron Dugan's also involved. So we'll see if he shows back up in December. I think that's pretty important piece to it. I don't know who else is in the mix beyond FSU in Florida with him. And the other one is Micah Mays, Wake Forest commitment. Uh, that's one that we kind of knew about for a good while. Had to sit on till Friday. or Yeah, Friday. You know, the game being on Friday has me so out of whack. Yes. Days. But you uh, had to sit on it till he kind of was on the way here. That was you know, something that was asked of us by him. And uh, yeah, FSU's there. They're in the mix there. I don't know if they've offered. We've not caught up with him since the visit. He didn't have an offer prior to. He's a young man that visited here in the spring. He likes FSU a great deal. Excellent athlete. There's some people at FSU who are super uh, thumbs up with him in the sense of wanting him to be part of the class here. We'll see if that kind of comes about. If everybody's going to circle around on that, it'll be interesting. I know FSU's interested in at least another receiver in the class potentially, whether it's high school, or portal, or another, or yeah, or another outlet. The talk was speed, but I think if it's a certain level of ability, it doesn't only have to be speed. And Andy Jean's a very talented dude. And Micah Mays is a really talented, well-rounded athlete who probably has a really good football future. And there's a little something to Wake Forest recruiting receivers in the state of Florida where I feel like they've done a pretty good job
0: with that. So Micah Mays has plenty of speed. yeah. Uh, Yeah, He's a very good
2: track athlete down there in Palm Beach.
0: Yeah, if that's the uh, the skill set that you're trying to focus on. That, that's not a bad place to to uh, put your 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 attention. I did speak to a Wake Forest uh, source, so with familiarity with Wake Forest, and I do think that going into the week, before even knowing of of a visit, I think there was some concern Wake Forest had about Florida State. I was told that Micah Mays has been in contact with the Wake Forest staff through the weekend. So that's what we got there. But we haven't been able to speak to, to Micah yet. So I'm not entirely sure what what the future holds uh, with FSU and Micah Mays.
1: Yeah, I'll have more on that this week. I plan to make some calls and figure out exactly what's going on there. Um, but I think I was told last week when I asked kind of about uh, Florida State's receiver recruiting down the stretch that a lot of it's going to depend on what the actual roster looks like. So if they actually go and try to get a portal wide out, Um, because the only guy they expect to lose right now, based on just the paper is, um, yeah. So, um, there's always a chance that other guys go portaling, um, you know, just unexpected. I'm not predicting any, but that's kind of, uh, where FSU would, would put their eyes. Like if you lose a guy or two unexpectedly, I think you could go more, um, You know, heavy on on trying to add some guys through either the high school ranks or portal at wide out. But I think that's wait and see. But Andy Jean, um, Micah Mays and Jalen Brown are the three guys I would know out of high school that FSU is still communicating with. Um, Funny enough, all flip targets. Um, But that's kind of how things roll down the stretch with a ton of the top two four seven already committed to school so all, all,
0: um, all from south florida guys or all south florida guys too all so. south florida
1: dogs yep yeah. so wild, wild yeah, we'll, we'll monitor it and I'll, I'll have more on this week when i make some calls and kind of figure out what's going on with those two recruitments since we weren't actually able to catch up with both of those guys um on the phone
2: so the, brendan when you uh intro to jordan hall part you know who i thought you were talking about before you said dt
0: we're, t- we're talking about a, a big surprise and this was probably Isn't the it? biggest surprise just because of the way it unfolded for Chris to see him. So backstory is a, well, no, go, go ahead and tell us, tell us how we saw it, Chris. Cause this is the guy that we Wait, we're can all I start, actually? Yeah, you know go what? ahead. Yeah. yeah. You so
1: I, so there's two ways that prospects get into the IPF. One is through the way, like uh, I guess you call it the entrance of like um, over there towards stadium, uh, stadium drive that's what it's called right stadium drive. that's where that's you're talking where about t- the arch yeah the arch yeah that's where uh, t- one's the arch t- you t- t- the t- actual trunston- field house entry. entry yeah the field house entry um is kind of where i was located there's the arch which is the other way i believe kyle uh Morlock, which is the guy we're talking about the six foot seven uh tight end out of the uh shorter transfer university of shorter university transfer sorry i'm mm-hmm. up um, it's hey okay. Look, it's your
2: first time I dealing with shorter. Him, we'll cut you some slack. Yeah, I see him inside the
1: IPF, or I see someone that looks like him. I'm like, who is that dude? He's like six seven, this tall white dude. I'm like, who is that? That that is not someone I was like expecting. So I make some texts. I'm like, Chris. Like, uh, and the, no. And the first of all, the connection was terrible on Friday. There were so many people in Tallahassee. So like, even two hours before the game, I was not getting good service. So. I didn't even get a text from Chris saying that, like, I think it was like you or, or Brennan or something that said, like, you're writing it or something. And then Chris called me and I didn't see the call. So it was crazy. But I'll let Chris get into his side.
2: So I went to pick up my credential before Legacy Walk like I normally do. And Mother Nature decided to, you know, take a leak on us. So I was soaking wet. That was not real fun. So I get the I Legacy had Walk. an umbrella. Legacy Walk is nice and thick, which was great to see. Um, but makes getting a good vantage point for me difficult because I'm a short man who, well, you know, is short. So I decided, screw that. I'm going to just pay attention to recruits showing up and kind of uh, kick on legacy walk as far as actually seeing the dudes walk in. I'm sitting there watching them walk up normal. They kind of put them in a little area right before where the players go into the stadium. The recruits are walking up. Most of the guys we expect to see, no real big surprises. Golf cart rolls up, six seven two fifty. 100% looking apart, towering over an FSU support staff member is more lock. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like it looks apart. Like the video, you know, we all watched the video. If you were on the site when he got offered is impressive, but seeing him in person, he just stands out. He's physically what you want a tight end to look like. And uh, yeah. So yeah. And I was playing phone tag. And as Zach mentioned, connections around that part at that point of the day, between the weather the amount of people, they weren't real good. So I think I ran into the press box after the recruits wrapped up and Brendan was working on it. I got him the photo. And website also decided to have some technical glitches, which is yeah. another added bonus to the moment. But yeah, yeah. Mor- Morlock's a really impressive dude. A little bit of intel I got on that is uh, some of the people that surround him from his high school days are apparently very pro-FSU people, fans of the place. So they were pretty hyped to come to the game. So that's part of the reason he kind of ended up here. And uh, they really enjoyed themselves. And what I understand, he enjoyed himself. He didn't really do an interview afterwards, but Zach did have an opportunity to catch up with him a little bit. I'll let Zach give you what he got directly from him.
1: Yeah. yeah, I believe he came with a grandparent. I think his granddad. Yeah, it, definitely. There was yeah. an older gentleman in the
2: golf cart with him who I believe yeah. also had Morlock as the last name. Yes. But yeah, grandfather would make sense.
1: Yeah, I, I talked with him brief, I talked with Kyle briefly after um, the game, and he kind of told me. Um, You know, some transfer prospects aren't, you know, super down to do interviews. So I understood basically just ask him some questions. He says he's coming back on an official visit. I reported this yesterday on December 9th um, for that for that weekend. So that will be a big weekend for FSU as they try to, um, you know, get further into that recruitment. That's become a highly contested recruitment. We've seen LSU, Oklahoma, a bunch of other schools, Tennessee um, involved there. I think Tennessee is actually going to host him on campus this week for an unofficial as well. So that's another school that's making some some headway in that one. Um, he's a guy that's going to get to his next school in January. So I expect him to make a decision at some point in December. One thing I'll note is I think it's pretty big for FSU to get him in for a game day visit because, you know, what other schools going to have the shot to do that down the stretch? Um, you know, we got conference championship weekend coming up. Won't expect a lot of visits to happen then because um, a lot of that stuff's, you know, not played at, at home stadiums. And I don't know the, the visit rules anyway, but for that kind of setting. Um, so I think it was pretty big and especially for a game like that where FSU just went and, you know, I, I would say handled business um, enough to get the dub over a rival um, in dramatic fashion. So um, definitely think it was a big deal to get them on campus for an unofficial and then lock in that OV for um, December 9th.
2: You guys real, talked about the – Real quick on with the Tennessee mentioned, the school he went to in high school is very close to Tennessee. Uh, I believe there's also somebody from Shorter that is now at Tennessee, so there's some relationship there. And I believe they're losing their top two tight ends. So just mention that. I think Tennessee and LSU are two to definitely keep in mind. LSU because of Brian Kelly's history with tight ends, namely a guy named Michael Mayer who is currently finishing up at Notre Dame.
0: This is outrageous. This is the first transfer prospect the FSU has offered, and I haven't been able to talk about him for four minutes now.
1: Keep talking, Chris. No, I'm going to give
0: Brendan this chance. I know how he loves that portal. I do. He also has offers from Auburn, Wisconsin, West Virginia, Oregon State, Purdue, or like Purdue. I mean, he, the offers have piled in for Morlock, and he was offered, what, on thursday wednesday it was uh, wednesday, wednesday, I, wednesday night yeah, wednesday night wednesday evening was, i was sleeping yeah. uh, and i woke up to chris being extremely excited over his huddle and I, I
2: i watched his he has his shorter career highlights on there he has his junior and senior film i believe as a high school he was more a receiver in high school than tight end he was a big body that was evolving at that point i believe i don't know if it was junior or senior year of high school i think he had an injury maybe a foot injury kind of limited his availability probably uh, dimmed his recruitment a little bit. Plus, you know, pandemic times probably didn't help recruitment. Smaller and school.
0: He's from a town of, of 700 people in, and yeah. when I say North Georgia, I mean North Georgia, and it is just surrounded by like foothills of mountains. Like it's, he had no business being to. D2. Yeah. When you watch and his film, that's what makes, this is why I love the transfer portals because it allows for this kind of stuff to happen, these kind of players to emerge and a little bit more freely, a little bit more. Quickly and and for us to be able to cover them. This is like this is going to be a fun recruitment to cover. Whether he ends up at Florida State, LSU, Tennessee, this is a dude who put on thirty pounds in three years at the Division II level at a Division II weight program uh, at a small school in Rome, Georgia. Uh, He likes skydiving. He likes sushi. What's not to like? He's he's going to get. Baby Gronk monikers because of his size and athleticism. I mean, he's he's going to be a fun recruit to follow, and FSU is in need of tight end, so makes sense.
2: Good job, yeah. Brendan. Thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll carry the show for us since Brendan's starting to get winded here. But uh, three official visitors this weekend. Two of them were commitments. The Jones brothers are not actually brothers, but they both have the last name Jones. Jaden Jones, defensive end, coming off an ACL injury. Quindarius Jones, defensive back from Mississippi. Jaden's at JUCO in Middle America, at Kansas, but he is originally from Alabama. They're both very solid, nothing to worry about there, but I believe uh, Jaden is a early enrollee, is Quindarius. I can't remember off the top of my head. Yes, they're both
1: arriving in January.
2: All right, so they both should be here January 6th. The other one was Isaac Smith, talented uh, kind of safety, big body, could almost be a linebacker in some systems, I think, for FSU. He is a safety Jamie Robinson type of guy to some degree. He was here with mom and dad. He's from Mississippi. This was a big swing type of thing for FSU in the sense that he's never been here before. He very much enjoyed game day. I think the culture and the atmosphere of the program were the things that stood out the most to him. And that's something he's definitely looking into beyond the actual program from a football sense and an academic sense, which also I think he liked a great deal. FSU is going to be in the mixer. He's already been the Vandy and A&M. Old Miss, Mississippi State, uh, USC, or some of the other schools in the mix. He's going to take another official or two, decide later this month. He's also an early enrollee. FSU's in the mix there. We'll see. They still have an in-home visit, things like that. But he has other visits to take. I don't think he's close to formulating a decision in his mind at this moment. Uh,
0: Who else did you want to talk about? That's all I had on the list. I I think we – Deshaun Blackstock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Juco Lyman mm-hmm. shows up. I Safe talked to him yesterday. Zach talked to him on Friday. We already
2: hey, put all this, this up. People have read it. We're yeah. ahead of the game. We're just we're giving them some insight that you can't write because quotes aren't there. Uh, Blackstock coming back December 16th to the 18th for an official. He's supposed to go to Penn State here soon. He actually has a game this coming weekend. They're playing, uh, I believe it's Hutchinson. Yeah, uh, he's actually like, we a playoff game. Yeah, he was sporting a boot this weekend for a high ankle sprain, but he expects to play. He's originally from Covington, Georgia, uh, so he has some ties to the area as far as regionally speaking. He came. He liked Atkins. He's a normal juco in the sense where he's looking for where can I go and get developed and improve play and kind of make that next step. And obviously he has two to play or three years to play too, so he needs to find a place where it kind of makes sense for him. It's very business decision-like, but I think he liked Alex Atkins a lot from talking to him in a sense of Atkins is a no-bull, you know, what kind of guy. Very much to the point, you're going to come here, you're going to earn it, but here's some examples of guys that have done it for me. He's also looking at who has people produced, who have they put in the NFL, things of that sort. Uh, But, yeah, he's coming back. Penn State's in that mix. Illinois is in that mix. South Carolina is in that mix. Those are some of the schools to know. Auburn was, but I think he's just keeping an eye on the coaching change there. But he's plenty familiar with that program, so if they want to jump back in, they would be in the mix, too.
0: Uh, one little side note, Chris Otto was visiting Stanford this weekend when there was a coaching change.
2: Yeah, David Shaw stepped down after what 12 years? He's been there for a while.
0: Yeah, yeah, it It had some really a lot of success earlier on in his career, too.
2: Yeah, those early years, Mike Blumgren, who has some FSU ties, Rice head coach now, I believe. I think he's still at Rice, he was there with him. Um, yeah, so that's got to be weird. I haven't asked Otto, I haven't poked that to see. uh, yeah, what that moment was like. That has to be a little weird to be on your official and, hey, yeah, I'm stepping down at the podium here after the game.
0: But that's, that is a, for FSU's sake, that seems really encouraging because Stanford was really one of the, the few schools that seemed to be in the mix outside of Florida State. And yeah, fits him you know, academically
2: and also has his major with film school.
0: Yeah. If, if he wanted to, I mean, that's all the way across the country, but Stanford's undergrad program, academics, like, and the position they're known for developing, like that was a threat and I don't think it's a threat anymore. So that that's encouraging for Florida state. Uh I had one other topic, but this podcast has been going on for a while. Fellas, we just want to wrap it up. It was going to be transfer portal uh positions of need and whatnot. I think we can do that like as a separate podcast for fun later on, a little closer to December 5th. What do you say?
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I, I think the interesting uh part with that topic is, what they do here with having some juice on the trail, they've got the most juice they've ever had on the trail as a program, as under these guys, under coach Norvell and his staff. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be interesting if they can address some of those needs with high school guys. Cause you'll always take a guy for four or five years. If you think he's good enough to help you in year one or year two versus a guy that you're renting for a year or two out of the portal. So it's going to be interesting if those numbers shift from the eight to 10 portal to a little bit more high school than we maybe thought, you know, three, four weeks ago. Jordan Hall, for example. You get Jordan Hall, I don't know you're taking a transfer right. team. So, example there.
0: I have so much I want to get to about the transfer portal. We'll do it later. All right. For Chris Knee, Zach Blostein, I'm Brendan Sinon. This has been On the Bench. Hey, give us a five-star review if you haven't thought about doing so in a while or you're penalizing us for a Falcon Road episode and it's a four-star review. And Give us that Thanks for listening, everyone. Talk to you later this week. Peace.